0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I'm Elizabeth here with author Chelsea Austin. How are you, Chelsea? I'm wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is such a
0: treat. Oh yeah. Hold up that book. We got to just, author, there you are. Look at that
1: new author. What a proud moment. Isn't it the coolest thing? It really is. It's such a gratifying moment and such a crazy feeling to feel like, wow, I came up with the words that are in here. And especially someone that never saw themselves as much of a writer, it feels very, very special. Yeah, it's,
0: it's yeah. so cool to have that book and everything. OK, so the title of your book is Inexplicably Me. There it is. Everybody go get it. It's on Amazon. Everywhere books are sold. Support those independent bookstores, all that stuff. We're going to come back to the title in a second. First, we're going to talk about your name. It says Chelsea Austin on here. Yeah. But your name's longer than mine, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that,
1: that is because I, well, I have two dads and one husband and I have all of their names. Yeah. Um, and my daddy always told me growing up that the more names you have, the more royal you seem. So I very much leaned into the many, many names. But my full name, which you can see at the bottom of my book, is Chelsea Austin Montgomery Duban Vester. So and I have a lot of names. Chelsea Austin were given to me by my parents. Montgomery is my dad's last name. Duban is my daddy's last name. And Vester, because I had to go and marry a German, is my husband's last name. So, Got it. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. I remember when your name first came across my desk. I'm like, I don't know what to call. I'm just call- I'm going with Chelsea. <laughs> perfect. i
1: love chels i love chels i love being given nicknames so that Ooh. is totally fine by me
0: chels and her adorable hair and book so <laughs> all right cool all right let's go okay we let's go back to the book for a minute okay inexplicably me i got it didn't i i got it, that nailed it. you nailed it <laughs> i did it Woo. all right tell me what this book is all about why did you sit down to write a book what's what's going on Totally.
1: So the story is my story. It's mostly memoir with a little tidbits of what I've learned over the last 29, well at the time 27 years of my life. And I was raised by two incredible gay men, both of whom I am biologically related to as well. So this was not a thing people were doing back in the 90s. And we were actually part of a landmark case in California where they did a single parent adoption for the parent that I'm not. Uh, who's not my father, I'll make this a little bit easier. I have dad and daddy. I always forget how far back we have to go. So I have dad and daddy, and they used my dad, Kevin's sperm, and my daddy, Dennis's sister's egg. And then I would have been my auntie, my my Dennis's sister, I would have been her firstborn child. And that felt emotionally like a lot for her to handle. So Then there was a separate surrogate who I'm also related to. It was my cousin. And so we kept it very much all in the family. But the landmark case was my daddy, since he's my biological uncle, not biologically one of my parents, was not on my birth certificate.
0: And they really wanted
1: both of my parents on my birth certificate. So when that happened, everybody got a lawyer. Everybody needed some form of legal representation to put both of my parents on my birth certificate. But it was the first time that that had ever been done in the state of California. So that's really where my story begins. But it goes through a lot of challenging, joyful, exciting times in my life. Everything from losing my biological mom to one of my parents spent some time in a federal prison camp. So it really covers a lot of very pivotal moments in my life, along with the painstaking moments of growing up and becoming an adult, you know, everybody's yeah. curious. What does a girl with two gay dads do when she gets her first period? That kind of thing. So I make sure I touch it all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back for a second and just say, you know, you're the most wanted in terms of loving, like the most wanted human being on the planet, right? Oh my God. Everybody is just buying for you. Um, right? In that moment of like, we, we want this child on, you know, here and so forth. That has just got to be, to grow up with all that love. It's just got to be such, despite the lawyer thing and all that stuff, there's, that's still love involved. It's like, I want money yeah. on that too, you know? Um, what's that like?
1: I, I feel like one of the most blessed humans in yeah. the world to have all that love, to be honest, it is such I don't take it for granted whatsoever, knowing that I came into this world so wanted, so much planning was involved. I definitely Mm -hmm. wasn't something that just happened by surprise, although those babies are amazing too. (laughs) Um, But it was also something that I felt growing up, not a pressure that my parents put on me, but a pressure from the outside world, because yes, I knew I was wanted. I, I knew my family wanted me there, but there was a lot of societal pressure to fit in a certain box as a family, and we just never quite fit. And so I've struggled a lot over the years with grappling with that self-worth, am I enough, those questions. And a lot of people are very confused as to why I would have any of those questions being someone that was so clearly wanted in this world. But still, even with all that unconditional love and acceptance within my family unit, we then went out into the world and struggled with a lot of that in the beyond our family side of things. Yeah. yeah.
0: What do you have to say for people going through anything like that, where, where you're struggling to fit in or people aren't, you're, you're not widely accepted for who you are and your family or whatever it is. Do you have some words of of wisdom to help people be their best in those moments? Cause it is, it, it, it happens no matter who you are. I really, I really think, I think at some point all of us feel like a complete
1: misfit. Oh, absolutely. And I think for me, First of all, I would want anyone to know that they're not alone. I think the biggest first realization you can have is that everybody does go through this. Everybody has at some point in their lives, a feeling of a lack of acceptance for who they are at their core. And for me, I think the most important thing to realize that takes sometimes a lot of time and sometimes maybe coaching and therapy and journaling or whatever it is that you need, if it doesn't come naturally, but the knowledge that you, just as you are without having to do or change or be anything are enough. You can wake up in the morning, you don't even have to brush your teeth and you are valuable and worthy. And I think that's just something so important to remember, especially in those times where we're really questioning, well, why don't I fit in? Well, why can't I belong? Well, why isn't this just easier? I think it's so important to remember that it's okay. You can sit back and just love who you are in this moment, or even if you can't get to love, get to neutrality. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Have you had, um, have you had curly hair your whole life?
1: My whole life. And I hated it for so long.
0: I'm going that my sister is 15 years younger than me and her hair is the kind of curl or just you pull on it and it goes back, you know, it's just ringlet curls and stuff. And even that. that, is something that people, she's like, she used to try and straighten her hair. And I'm like, oh. oh, yeah. I mean, just even something like that appearance wise. Talk about that a little bit. By the way, I love your hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just yeah. saying, it. And I'm going to take a sip of my tea while you talk. How's that sound? <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I, it's very funny that your sister used to do that because I used to ask my dad to straighten my hair every day before school. Oh, yeah. I hated my curly hair. It never did what I wanted. And <laughs> as I've gotten older, it's also changed shape a little bit. It's gone from being curlier to being less curly, more wavy. It's it's kind of gone in different waves. <laughs> not, it
0: was not intended until... Yeah, that. it was good though. But,
1: thank you. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's something that I've had to... Really, kind of take on as a part of my identity and something I've had to lean into and decide that I want to love it. Because I think a lot of it is a decision. It was a decision to say, no, straight hair is more beautiful, or I want something else, which is totally valid because I think. It's so easy. If I, I always say what goes up and my hair does not come down because once it goes up on top of my head, there is no taking it down again. It is either in a ponytail or it's down. And so sometimes my hair requires a little extra love, but I think going as I've gotten older, I've gained an appreciation for my hair and the way it is and saying, oh, this is something special about me. Something I can say is a little different or a little, it it expresses my personality. I think I got a big personality. I take up a lot of space and so does my hair. So (laughs) I've learned to love it, but I think definitely curly hair or no matter what kind of hair you have, there's always a kind of some want to change it. I feel like the grass is always greener with hair. And so learning to love a physical attribute like that can take time. Definitely. Yeah. And,
0: you know, one thing that might be really cool advice for people, like if if there's a young girl listening right now with curly hair or, or boy with curly hair, go to um, somebody a little older than you with curly hair and see how they've navigated their curly hair or whatever it is. Same with life, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Tap into people who have a shared experience in some way. They may not have all of your shared experience, but they'll have a portion of it. And I will tell you, it, it's normal and natural to struggle with that part of your identity and to find the right products. Oh, people with curly hair, if you find a product you love, you stick with it for life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my sister says that. Yeah. So that's true. funny. Yeah. I've, I've got a patch of curly hair. Like if I let my hair go, it'll be all wavy, but not curly curly. But I have one back section of like, you know, this much hair that's like,
1: so That's we, amazing. Whatever, yeah. Like, there amazing Feet of nature. I love yeah.
0: it. <laughs> so, okay, let's go back to your book for a little bit. That was a fun hair hair story, but yeah, you know, we're, we we got to talk about everything here. Okay, you have two, you have two gay dads. Yeah. Um, do you have to say that? Like, do you have to? Like, is that an identity thing? Or, I mean, do does anybody does it? Does it matter anymore? i don't know i mean does you know what i mean in terms of like love is love does it do totally.
1: yeah i I specify gay dads only because there are a lot of assumptions that are made when i do not specify that
0: ah, so okay. when because I, I don't know
1: yeah when yeah. i say i have two dads or if it comes up in conversation Because oftentimes I'll explain it because I'll say daddy, and people are like, You're 29, and calling one of your parents daddy, like this is kind of uncomfortable for me. Or we work together in business, and I called him daddy, which was just my name for him. But if you have a dad and a daddy, I can't start calling daddy dad. That would just be weird for me. Like you wouldn't start calling mom dad, that would be weird. So I've always felt like, okay, I have to preface this with, by the way, I have two dads. So that's why I'm calling one daddy. And the other part of that is if I just say I have two dads, it doesn't immediately click from, for some people that they're in a relationship with each other. It's true.
0: I'd go right to, okay, she's got divorced parents and two dads.
1: Exactly. And so there's, There's, it could be many different scenarios and I guess it doesn't matter what people think because they're my dads and I love them, but it is something that I've grown up loving so much about my identity, having these parents that's definitely shaped the way that I've come into the world. And so- for me, it's very important to specify. I have two dads, and they're gay, and they've been together for forty-one years. So I always try to give everybody the whole story.
0: Yeah, there's they showed such a, and continue to show such a an example of love to you and in your home. How did that shape you as a younger person? When did you first discover that you know things were different in your house a little bit? Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Were they? I don't know. It
1: is. It <laughs> because I think it happened over time. It wasn't one day I woke up and I was like, oh, we have a different family. That's interesting. (laughs) It was little interactions with other people that allowed me to realize that maybe we are not the norm. And going to school, I think, is when it really started to click for me. But there were times before that where people would ask me, a little girl once on the playground, I was probably four or five years old, and she said, where's your mom? I said, well, I don't have a mom. I have two dads. She said, well, you have to have a mom. I said, well, I don't have a mom. And she said, you either have a mom or she's dead. And I was like, oh, oh, that hurts. Okay. The chills, actually. It's funny, though, because as a kid, I just went, oh, she just doesn't get it. I walked I up to her and I would have cried. I would have
0: been like, okay, I'm done with you forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was funny because I was so at home with what my relationship was with my parents, the family that we had, that I was just like, okay, she just doesn't understand and yeah. kept moving. Obviously, there were times that it did not feel that easy. Yeah. Um, I didn't though know what the word gay meant until I was seven and a little girl said to me, you have to have a mom. And I said, well, I don't, I have two dads. And she said, well, then your dads are gay. There's a much longer story about this in the book, but yeah. she said, well, you have to have them. Your dads are gay. Otherwise. And I said, they're not gay. She said, well, yeah, they're gay. And I walked up to my dad and I said, dad, that girl over there, she says you're gay. And he says, I am gay. And I thought about it for a moment and I turned around, I looked at the little girl and I said, I am so sorry. He is gay. <laughs> Never <laughs> known. I thought, oh, I have a dad and a daddy. Other people have a mom and a dad. I didn't know there was a word because labels are for other people, not for us, right? They're for other people to better understand the boxes that we fit in. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience to go, oh, oh, I didn't know there was a name for what my parents are. And So growing up with two gay dads, definitely, I also think allowed me to have a lot more acceptance for people that were different from me, to have seen adversity, to have experienced adversity, to have seen people not quite understand where I came from. I was a lot more open to saying, oh, it's okay if I don't understand where you come from. I'm going to love you anyway. And my parents were also paramount in teaching me about gratitude and how to show unconditional love. And so I owed that all to them because they were just really... Truly, gay, not gay, whatever they are, they were wonderful parents. Truly, yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I wanted to touch on that a little bit of like how that how that helped you understand the world as a whole better and all the different kind of kinds of people that there are and family mm-hmm. systems and so forth. How's that helped you be you know
1: who you are in this moment? I think it's made me very empathetic. I think it's made me have a lot of an experience of saying, okay, what, what would it be like to walk in someone else's shoes? Or mm-hmm. my way isn't the only way. My way isn't the only right way. There are There's so much more out there that can be and can exist. And that isn't necessarily something I felt my whole life. I think growing up, I also had that feeling of, you no, know, how we believe is the only way to believe. But as I've gotten older and older, I met more and more people that were different from me going to college you know, on the East Coast in a small town, smaller town in Pennsylvania. I met a lot of people for the first time in my life that were vastly different from me or had different belief systems. And I think it was the first time I was challenged to go, well, wait a second, okay, how do I feel about this new belief system I'm running into? And if I say my way is the only way and they believe their way is the only way, how are we ever going to come together? Right. And so I think having this experience of always feeling, as I say, two doors down from normal, I've been more open and accepting as best I can. Not that I haven't had my moments of messing up, but Mm -hmm. as open and accepting of as many different people as possible, because there's this feeling of, I want them to give me the opportunity to be myself and have my beliefs. And so I need to allow for that and their experience too.
0: Yeah. Have you figured out who says what's normal and not yet? (laughs)
1: Okay, who normal, I would yeah. like to know.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard you kind of say a couple of times, you know, comparing to normal, and it's like, well, I'm sorry, but define normal for me. I don't know what that. You know, there, there are so many different ways to do family and kids and marriage and all this stuff that um, really? you know. It's all about love. So, uh, don't you agree? We need. To know
1: <laughs> out because normal it, some some society that we don't know of has decided what normal is
0: <laughs> yeah and and to live up to whatever normal is is I don't yeah. know there's just a lot of standards and I think we're breaking through those moments um with all in so many different ways um so it's it's kind of exciting to see um have okay this is pass on this if you don't want to talk about this or I've asked the wrong thing because I'm going to ask you know have you ever experienced just episode hate? No, I don't want to take the smile off your face either. But you know, there just is there an element of that that goes with all of this too.
1: It's really important, I think, to acknowledge also that things are not always rainbows and butterflies Mm -hmm. as much as I would love for them to be. Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, Yeah, wouldn't it be nice? I think the most outright hate I've seen is when I was fifteen. My parents were able to legally marry, and that was a beautiful, beautiful moment in my life. And after that. Proposition 8, which sought to ban gay marriage in the state of California in 2008, was passed. And after Prop 8 passed and banned gay marriage in California, I had a very strong need to, beyond living by example, also take a stand for on behalf of my family. And so I put my speech from my parents' wedding on YouTube. And it went viral by 2008 standards, you know, but today it's a whole nother level. But at the time, it got a lot of attention. And I was getting calls from the Miami Herald and from all different kinds of papers and news outlets to talk about my family. And it was in that time, which I think is natural when you kind of expose yourself to the world, to get a lot of feedback. And people get very brave when they're behind a computer screen. And there were some horrific comments that I received on that video. Um, I mean, everything from horrible things. Um, And I think that was a moment where I went, Oh, okay. I'm out. That's outside of my little bubble in Malibu, California that I grew up in where everybody kind of believed as I did. And I felt very comfortable. Right. And I think that was the first time that I ever experienced outright Hatred or seeing protesters on the corner during that whole Prop 8 campaign right. saying horrible things to our faces. And so I think that I would say is the most outright example of hatred that I've seen. But I think hatred is just another word for extreme fear. I think it's oh. just so much fear. And so that was what my dad always taught. It's like, it's it's horrible. It's not an excuse but it, it allows you to empathize with someone that is putting those messages out there, because underneath it is just a deep, deep fear of something they don't understand.
0: Yeah, I always say to get through life, we need earplugs and bubble wrap. Just earplugs <laughs> and bubble wrap. Earplugs and bubble wrap all day long. And I don't know if that'll fix it or not, but wow. Um, you know. The where I want to go with that, too, is to help people, you know, if you're on the receiving end of something like that, no matter who you are, I've been on the receiving end of some terrible comments in my life. And, yeah. you know, but I choose not to live there and I choose to kind of earplug, earplug, bubble wrap and, and move mm-hmm. forward. Can you talk about how those moments fuel you, fueled you to like where you are today? Did it did it help you write your book? Did it help you do this, that
1: take a stand? You know, I, I, I hear you on the YouTube thing, but yeah. tell me more. Definitely. I think it did fuel me. It went, whoa, okay, there's something really to fight for. Not that I didn't believe there was something to fight for before, but as a 15 year old, hearing and seeing these things and realizing that we had a little bit more of an uphill battle to climb than maybe I'd previously thought was definitely fuel and definitely a reason why I wrote my book. I wanted people to have this experience of someone that's from a family that may not look like their own and potentially builds that kind of bridge and i think you know for anyone that's experiencing hatred you have to allow yourself to feel whatever comes up for you around that because it can be really hard to to have those things come at you and it feels like in a personal attack but i've learned that it's way more about the person saying it than it is about you at all and so to remember that and allow yourself to feel whatever feels come up because I think that's so vitally important. But then it's a little bit the same. Earplug, earplug, and keep moving. Then allow it to push. Bubble you. wrap. Bubble wrap. <laughs> Bubble wrap it up, baby. <laughs> keep moving. Because okay. you can't get stuck playing those tapes over and over and over yeah. on your head, or or it'll take you down. And so it's, I think, so important to then say, okay, how can I use this as fuel? And how can I decide that I, instead of fighting fire with fire, how can I bring some water to this firefight?
0: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, so you are, <clears throat> are you under 30?
1: I am, 29. You're
0: just make sure you're younger than I am by a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 53. Um, okay, what's, okay, for, just for a second, just go here with me. So now, say you're my age, you're 53. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna keep writing books, I know. What's your memoir gonna look like at 53 compared to 29?
1: <sighs> keep think on that. I knew I threw that out of the air. But you know, what's yeah. that memoir look like? You know, I've thought about that many times because I would love to write kind of the next chapter of my life. And I really think It'll be a fun process of one day also seeing what my parents are like as grandparents, kind of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not that I'm not pregnant right now, but that's something that's in the offing for my family. And so I'm really excited to see what that next chapter looks like going from my two dads to now my kids to granddaddies and mm-hmm. what that looks like. And also, I think continuing to talk about my struggle with perfectionism and overcoming, you know, trying to just always be what everybody else needs for me and people pleasing. And I hope that by 53, maybe I have a couple more tools that I can share with the world um, (laughs) that I've maybe been able to work through and just give other people, again, another bridge to connect with something you may not understand, but also find more of that inner peace and inner acceptance. That is what I hope my next memoir would bring. I love it.
0: Yep. All right. I'm keeping, I have notes on you. Sorry. <laughs> so if I'm looking down everybody. It's cause I have notes on shelves. Um, what are, what are five things? So you're going to have to keep track of, as you're talking to five, I'll just be like one, two, three, four. five things that help you be your best.
1: Mm. Oh yes, one of them is recognizing that my best changes every day. Ooh, I it never looks like the same. Um, Amen to that one. Right on. <laughs> I might have to steal that <laughs> anytime. Okay. fair on. game. Okay. Fair yeah. game. And it's it's part of the four agreements too that I just read, but it's something that I definitely glommed onto. So, oh, hang on. Before we get to two, I'm going to interrupt you, yeah. chicken. Sorry, um, going off. the the
0: the four agreements I have father and son in an interview in my best Mm -hmm. ever you
1: you'll love that I'll send you the link okay go yes. yeah you'll love it oh my gosh yes I love that I'm I'm very excited excited. okay two Uh, that my best changes every day yeah that I can define any label I give myself or someone else gives to me and Also, I don't know if this is two and a half or three, but defining success for myself. So much of what I do and the work that I do on myself is how do I create those definitions of things like achievement and success so that I can feel good and my best every day or as close to every day as possible. Um, A big one is starting my day with some form of mindfulness, if it's meditation, if it's journaling if it's just concentrating on sipping my coffee, whatever that is, some form of bringing my mind to one centered place, that has been life-changing for me. And the fifth, which probably should be all five of these, but is practicing gratitude uh, every day. That I learned from my daddy. He is a since I was a little kid, we would sit together and practice. He taught me how to practice gratitude, how to be thankful for everything from the tiny things to the huge things. And I would say gratitude is something that I use every single day. And I could give you 10 more, but those those are my five. five. Okay. Okay.
0: Right. Um, thank you for that. I'm going to do something in our magazine with you on that, too. I'll, oh, I'll, uh, in January, I'll do a feature with you with those five things. We're going to have to come back to this. Remember those five things, or like write them down or do something. Thank goodness. this so. <laughs> is <laughs> We'll go back. All right. And maybe we'll expand it to 10
1: um, in your book. OK, hold your book back up again, if you don't mind. OK, inexplicably me. What's the tagline for it? Oh, a story of labels, worthiness, and refusing to be boxed in. Love it. Okay. And it's available wherever books are sold on Amazon. No,
0: we're not ending the show yet, but I would like you to maybe pick a paragraph or two out of your book. And just maybe, would you read that to us? Like something that you love? Yes. And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Like I'll it. keep talking for a minute. This is Chelsea. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my, um, my um, goodness. I would love to. I well oh, is my
1: oh this is hard
0: i know um, it is isn't it it's like a it's like a two or three hundred page book but
1: yeah but we're, we're gonna find we something here i'm gonna i you know i do have what's one. your website while you're looking so we'll send Chelsea, people ChelseaAustin.com. chelseaaustin.com very easy to remember um here i actually have i do have one. Oh goodness it's like you want to read the whole book and do the audiobook yeah. all over again but no Exactly. I know. And I just recorded the audiobook. So that's like all, all in my head right now, but I will read, I will read this paragraph. It's actually from the preface as I flipped through the whole thing. I decided go oh, with the preface. Perfect. But, <clears throat> um, with this paragraph or this paragraph, now I'm bouncing between two, this one. Okay. If every little kid had an angel who would love them as much as my parents loved me, then every one of us would believe there is room for everyone on the planet to have it all. Maybe we would be less competitive and more loving with each other. I may not have known how to express it as a little tyke, but as I got older, I realized the necessity of spreading the gospel of tolerance, which I believe starts with self-acceptance. Even if your parents did not teach you to love yourself like minded you can come to know that the world's love is unlimited, not divisible like pieces of pie. Aww. That's my little, little teaser moment. That's, yeah, it's a beautiful book. Thank you. What
0: Thank what you. else is your favorite in there? Do you have another? Do you, like, tell us about the structure of the book. Like, what's in the book?
1: Yeah. So it's it's chronological. Uh, fun fact: When I was first writing it, it wasn't chronological, and then it became chronological because <laughs> my friend read it and she was like, "No one can keep track of where you are right now." It's like fair enough, uh, but it covers it covers everything from how my parents had me to growing up and some of my experiences with friends and challenges I had with them. It also covers things like I said, my first period, kind of finding myself in college and figuring out who I was as an individual because I've kind of individuated, if that's a word, as a little bit later in life because I was so close to my parents. So learning about who I am. And it also talks a lot about how I've been able to foster self-worth and self-confidence throughout my life, regardless of what anyone else has told me about who I should be. And and really also how to process how to how to process joy and accept it for what it is and not be worried that the other shoe is going to come dropping down because I think that's a really scary moment for people and and really what I've learned in every one of those challenging moments so my daddy going to prison and how I was how I coped with that during my senior year of college and what that did for our family in actually a really positive way and how it brought us together and how you never know where you might find a surprising angel of a human being in this world. Well, and tell, yeah. tell us more about that um, because yeah, I, I had forgotten about that. And yeah, and you're, as you yeah. said, I remember. Yeah. So it's a whole, it's a whole very long story, but I'll tell you about my very surprising angel because this is a fun moment in, in during the process. Is the day that we found out that my daddy was being sentenced to two years in a federal prison camp? I was actually in Pennsylvania at the time, re- rehearsing for a chorus line. I was hit playing Val in a chorus line because that's, I was a theater and dance major. So that's what I did. And yeah. I got the call from my dad during a five minute break in rehearsal. And we had been warned that my daddy might get probation, that absolute worst case scenario would be 3 months in prison which is horrible but 3 months okay that's kind of what i understood as the worst case scenario and then this call came through and not only was it not 3 months it was 2 years plus community service plus a fine and it was just really really overwhelming obviously in the moment and and when you know my daddy who is my hero and the kindest, sweetest, I call him my itty bitty daddy because he's just adorable and you just want to squeeze him. He's so sweet. And all he wants is for his family to be happy. He's worked so hard his whole life to just make sure we have the perfect life. And hearing that this happened was like some kind of cognitive dissonance. It just didn't add up. And so I collapsed on the floor. It sounds very dramatic. It felt very dramatic. It was, and just sobbed. And a friend of mine came out of the rehearsal and kind of scooped me up off the floor. And I told her what happened. And, you know, we'd been expecting good news after waiting 10 years for bad news. And all of a sudden this janitor was walking through the theater and dance department and sees me just sobbing. And she comes over and puts her arms around me and my friend and is hugging us. And I'm crying and crying. And she said, what's wrong? And I'm like, my dad is going to prison and just can't get it together. And she looks at me and goes, ah, domestic violence. And that idea was so shocking to me that I went, God, no tax fraud. And immediately started laughing because I thought, oh my gosh, my the idea of my daddy and domestic violence, those two words just didn't go in the same sentence. And this feeling of, oh, this could be so much worse. This could be so much more damaging for my actual family unit than it was. And it actually it saved me in that moment. This woman just making this random assumption got me out of this moment of grief and laughing in within the span of two minutes. And she is what I call in the book, there's a whole chapter on that, but I call her my surprising angel because she just really saved me from a moment where I thought the world is ending.
0: What and, happened after that? After you were like, no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we all kind of laughed. And yeah. then I went back to rehearsal. I oh. just said, oh, okay. Okay. The show must go on. I was, I'm a, you know, I'm a (laughs) theater kid. The show must go on. So we all laughed about it. We gave each other a hug and I said, thank you. And then I just went back on into the rehearsal room and proceeded to weep a little bit throughout the rest of rehearsal, but I made it through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did, um, now, did he have to do, I can't remember everything. Did he have to do the full two years or did they, did he come out early or what? Yeah. He have?
1: served 15 months and got off uh, for good time behavior. And then, but he did, you do have to serve your full sentence. So he served the rest of it in a combination between a halfway house and home confinement. So he oh. did serve the full two years, 15 months in the actual federal prison. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time. That's a whole bit. too, I bet
0: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah um, okay so
0: talk about um your okay i'm b- bouncing all over the place a little bit here and i gotta make sure i don't go an hour yeah. because we will i don't know you could talk but, forever uh, we could um okay talk about now uh, talk about your biological mom
1: mm.
0: for a little bit here because yeah. he, he, you was she in the picture not in the picture how does that how does that go
1: yeah. So my auntie, I called her auntie. Okay. Um, her name was Helene, but auntie, I idolized her. She okay. was very much in the picture of my life and I saw her a lot, but to me, she was not my mom. She was my auntie and she didn't raise me. She didn't discipline me. And I think that kind of added to the magic of our relationship is she never had to lay down the law or tell me what to do. Uh-huh. She was just someone one I got to have fun with. Yeah. And- I and like I, her. Sorry, do you look like her? Yes, I, okay. I look very much like her. Okay. It's funny because I look a lot like I look more like her than her uh children do because <laughs> her husband is or her husband is Japanese and so they look much more like him and I actually look much more like her, which is okay. always confusing to people, okay. but um, yeah, whatever, yeah, like <laughs> but uh, yeah, it. She was just wonderful and somewhat, she had the best laugh in the world. And we were very, very close. We actually, my husband and I moved when we bought a house, we moved seven blocks away from my auntie and my uncle Willie. And it was just wonderful to be nearby. It was unfortunately right at the end of her life when uh, in 2017, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and passed away within 11 months. So it was a very quick affair. Um, and That was very, very hard for me. Uh, She was my number one fan. She was my champion. She was the person I could go to and vent about my parents, that Mm -hmm. there was no judgment there, but she was always on my side. You know, she was the person I called her on the way home on the bus from school and all of middle school and high school every single day without fail. I would sit on the Yeah. Yeah. I
0: got the same kind of aunt and she passed away from, from uh, a stroke, just a sudden, sudden stroke right in the middle of the, you know, living room floor, you know, just, just passed away basically.
1: Um, But yeah, Yeah. aren't aunties the best? They are. It's this, it's such a great bond because they don't have to do anything to make you do be a certain way. They just scare you though.
0: But yeah. I mean, they, steer yeah. you, they steer your course a little bit here That's and there and correct you and, and stuff like that. But yeah, okay. no, I agree. Um, okay. Let's talk about, oh, what do I want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? I've got a lot, of, I've got, I've got a bunch more questions. I kind of want to talk about like identity struggle a little bit, like what's Ooh. your biggest piece of advice is there? Yeah. Um, um, topping, topping that off with like love and acceptance and things like that. But Talk yeah. about identity. I mean, I think, I don't know of anybody who doesn't have an Id- identity problems here and there. I mean, whether it's not knowing your value or struggling with, you know, whatever it is, we all have these moments.
1: Um, Absolutely. I, I think for me, the biggest... i maybe, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every. I mean, it's so like, I think for me, the biggest identity struggle was not knowing what it was I wanted because I lived so long with this idea of I'll be whatever you want me to be. Okay. You want me, you want me to be this? I'll be this. You want me to do this? I'll do this. You want me to like yellow? I'll like yellow. And it was really hard for me to actually say, Oh, this is what I like. Not because anyone else told me to not because of this is what someone else likes. This is what I like. And I think I struggled a lot with that for a really long time. Do you still? Oh yeah, so I struggle with that all the time because oh, the last thing I want to do
0: is have somebody not like me. Of course,
1: oh my I gosh, know. the dreadful, yeah. You don't like me, right? <laughs> it's, it, we all want to be loved and liked, yeah. and 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 I think it's a very it's something I do. I, I go to therapy, and talk about it all the time because it's something that we're constantly I think having to work on, and I think our identity is also constantly shifting and changing, yeah. which with every new phase in our life we kind of got to go through an identity. doesn't have to be a crisis, but some yeah. kind of grappling with our identity every moment throughout the course of our lives. And so when you have
0: kids, you'll go through it again. Yeah. When they leave for college, you go through it. I mean, it's a constant identity yeah. um, change in the in the true sense of like, you know, who, who am I? What a, what's my purpose? What am I doing? You know, and, and so yeah. forth. And um, so tell me about your self-love and self-worth practices then. Cause that's a huge part of best ever you is um, like, we love Sophia Nelson and her know your value, know your worth and all that stuff. And then to, to integrate that self love and self worth, you know, you were raised in a loving environment. I know you've got it. Um, but why isn't that like so strong within you to just be like, now I'm me and here's my boundary and here's, you know,
1: it's really hard, isn't it? It is really hard. And I think that's always why people are confused by me because I'm, I, on the one hand, I'm a very confident person. There are certain lines I won't cross. I do have really strong boundaries in certain areas, but there is this underlying of like, please just love me. You know, that kind of, we come with, and I don't think that necessarily came from my parents. It more came with with grappling as I was growing up with friends. And that was something I really struggled with was making friends, making friends that appreciated me for who I am and working through that but self-love sometimes I think feels like a really big leap for people and I've recently started working with this idea of just neutrality and lack of judgment for who I am
0: so Mm -hmm. I don't have
1: to sit here and go I'm perfect I love myself it's great because some days that doesn't feel genuine like some days like oh no no I don't feel that today and so I think it's about meeting yourself where you're at I think it's really important to say okay that's a lot of self-judgment I have there. How can I either change that thought, work with that thought differently? You know, if my, if my thought is, you know, I don't like my hair, for example. You're talking about my hair. I don't like my hair. Well, instead of trying to force myself to like my hair, what's something else about myself I can recognize that I like or love? Is it, you know, do I like my eyes or is it that I bring a lot of joy to the people I'm with? What is that about me that I enjoy? And it doesn't have to be a physical attribute, but I think kind of flipping that script and saying, oh, how else can I look at this? And as opposed to just rewriting the script immediately, go, well, let's show ourselves examples where we can trust and love ourselves in this other way, and then bring it back to the initial self-critical thought we might be thinking or feeling. Yeah. with my
0: what's with, with my clients sometimes what I do is if um you know we start out sometimes by doing like gratitude lists yeah and those are fun for people they're like i like you know i'm glad i have water i'm glad you know the, whatever it, and then it gets to be you know second nature to be uh, grateful yeah um, sometimes i do that exercise with self love and self worth as well so that yeah. you have like this arsenal to to lean back on of these yeah. things that you absolutely love about yourself and if one isn't working for you, then skip on down to number 10. And you are like, oh, that's right. Yep. Okay. And so we kind of keep like a reserve self-love uh, bank, if you will. I to, love that. Um, so people can kind of draw on that when they need them in those moments of, of self-hatred or self low self-worth or low self-esteem yeah. or low self-confidence or whatever it is. Um, and that's something that I did in my own life. Mm-hmm. That really helped me because, you know, I think, I think sometimes we're just wired that way. You're wired to perform oh, yeah. or you're wired to, um, you know, and and one little comment along the way and you're just leveled yeah. <laughs> and I don't forget things either. I, I'm not a very, I'm not a very forgetful person. Yeah. I can remember comments that have been said to me from like when I was eight and I'm like, darn it, I wish I could just unhear that,
1: unsee it, undo that. Yes. And unfortunately, mm, nope. No. And we're so well-trained to focus on that one negative thing so that we can change it as opposed to going, wait a second, there are all these other positive things that we're here. And I, for me, a big practice that I use all the time is that I talked about it a little bit before about defining and redefining yeah. and making words work for you. Because I've been called a word that I've struggled with my whole life, relentless. <laughs> and it was never said in a very positive way. And really? I've been told, you're relentless, Chelsea, just let it go. You're relentless. And yeah. I heard this over and over again throughout my life. And it started taking a really negative turn. No,
0: see, like if I was coaching, I'd be like, okay, relentless. Let's figure out what it is about that that we can apply and use it for positive.
1: Which is exactly what oh. I was talking about. I just redefined it. And I went, Wait yeah. a second. The fact that I'm relentless, I make my dreams come to reality. Yeah. I get to do X, Y, and that... It's always for me about taking words because I love words. Obviously, I love words, but <laughs> it's taking words and making them work for you, you know, any, anything from the word relentless, but also words like wife or daughter and what that means to you, because I think my definition of wife doesn't have to be the same as anyone else's. And that, you know, holding myself to the standard of a wife that I think I should be, which I had in my head for a long time, was not allowing me to feel great. It was making so- me feel like I wasn't enough. And Yeah,
0: so, yeah. yeah and that'll happen with, you know, being a, a dog mom, as I'm sure you already know, <laughs> mom's and doggies. And then wait till yeah. you have your kids. You'll just constantly be like, well, you know, <laughs> so-and-so over there is, has the perfect life with their three uh, kids or whatever. It's, yeah. It never stops. So careful of that um, yeah. because, you know, your messy house is just as beautiful as everybody else's. Uh, anyway. I love that. Absolutely. Awesome um, all right. We've got to go. Okay, we've got it. we've got to wind down. We're at the forty-five minute mark, so I'm gonna I'm gonna close this out here. But um, give us your website well, first of all. It's been lovely having you. Please come back anytime you want. It's so much fun to chat with you. We can pick topics and words and do thirty minutes. Oops, there goes my pen. <laughs> That's how excited I was. I'm leaving that in, by the way, and I'll grab a pencil.
1: <laughs> I would love that. This has been so much fun. It has absolutely made my day. So I'll come back anytime.
0: Yeah. Did that fly in the air? That was cool. It was
1: great. <laughs> I loved it. Um,
0: <laughs> I could baton throw. with Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can pick words and talk about them or do something fun like that. We can like do 10-minute segments on on
1: resilience or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. All right, tell us tell us your website one more time. Yes, chelseaaustin.com and you've spelled it right if you've put two a's in the middle. So chelseaaustin, okay. they're right in there together.com. Okay. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you're like, "Oh, you know what? We completely missed this and I need to go there?" Or are we good? <laughs> I feel like you covered everything. I was very impressed you hit every section of my life, I think. So Good. I feel very well-rounded. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. Hold the book up one more time.
0: Everybody go get Chelsea's book. Remember the best ever you show here. We are grassroots. We don't advertise. We don't do all those fun things that other people do. So when we have guests on, we love it when you embrace them, buy their books, go to their websites, all that good stuff. And here's, here's a new author that we can all embrace and love Chelsea Austin. I'm sure this is the first of many books that you will write and many things that you will do. And it's very fun to follow your career and have you here. And, um, be here with you
1: um as you
0: continue your journey on changing the world so it's very cool
1: thank you i'm so grateful for you and for your time and for your amazing platform and giving us authors a place to speak and and be our best selves it's a wonderful wonderful thing so thank oh, you
0: so the thanks goes to you okay everybody go to chelseaaustin.com by the book inexplicably me there i got it again yeah <laughs> and uh, and remember you'll see her really long name there we've got chelsea austin on here her really long name is there. You can go Chelsea, Austin, Montgomery. What's the last part? Dan and
1: Vechter. Perfect. <laughs> All right, yeah.
0: everybody. Thanks for watching and um, and tune in next time. All right, take care. Thanks, Chelsea. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>